Everybody, welcome to the next episode of Exponential Wisdom. I'm Peter Diamandis here with my coach, my dear friend, Dan Sullivan. So Dan, today I want to talk about something that you know a lot about, and I'm looking at from a very different angle of exponential disruption, which is the area of insurance. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know a lot about insurance. I'm curious why. Yeah. Insurance, I know. Insurance, I know. First of all, I've always believed in it just on a personal basis. But when we kicked off Coach, and this is me as a one-on-one -on -one coach, in 1974, among the first of my one-on-one -on -one clients were really, really world-class life insurance agents. So I got introduced, and that was the great networking industry of the 1970s before the internet came along. And the reason is that insurance agents is generally a personal relationship business, not selling a product or service. They do sell a product, and they do have a lot of service, but it's really based on someone getting you to think about things in your life sure. that you really don't want to think about. Number one being your death and what happens in case of your death or injury and everything. And so they're very gifted salespeople, the really good ones. But just a little background to this, Peter. So over the years, I tried to get all the life insurance agents to introduce me to all their top entrepreneurs because the top life insurance agents. And then there's the other insurance, there's property insurance. And, you know, I mean, anything where you could suffer a loss in the world, there is a form of insurance that underwrites possible sure. future losses. So I just got very intrigued in the history of it. And we were talking about a particular historical kickoff of the life insurance industry. Yeah, so I was doing a little research because I'm in the midst of writing my next book with Stephen Kotler, Convergence, The Future is Faster Than You Think. And I, I look at how the different industries are all going to change. And as I look at the insurance industry, which is all based on you know historical, retrospective, actuarial tables, and as I think about the future of a trillion sensor economy and AI, I think insurance is going to change dramatically. Mm -hmm. But I am curious, talk to me about the history. Well, you know, it's essentially, it's the spreading the risk of unpredictable bad future sure. consequences. Sure. And it goes back thousands of years, but I should say this historically, it's an English-speaking world product up until about 30 or 40 years ago. I'm talking about life insurance here. But if you take things like Lloyd's of London, which really came into play with international trade, maritime trade, that really kicked in, you know, in the 1500s, 1600s. There was a coffee shop in London called Lloyd's Coffee Shop, and it was near the docks. Huh. And all the ship captains would go to Lloyd's Coffee Shop, and then people who wanted to either purchase things from halfway around the world or sell something halfway around the world would go down to Lloyd's Coffee Shop. And what they did, Peter, is they put blackboards all around the room and they would put the name of the ship, the name of the captain, and where they were going, Indonesia, they were going to India, they were going to South America, and then they'd write down what the value, the projected value, if the ship came back safely, and would anybody like to underwrite the risk? And that's where the term underwrite 
they wrote their names under the name of the shipment, and that's where insurance wow. underwriting actually kicked off. And now it's Lloyd's of London, which is one of the great commercial insurance networks. It's a huge network worldwide, but that's where it all started. That's amazing. And wh- when was that again? Well, it would be probably in the late 1600s, you know, when the British really developed their seagoing capabilities. An island country, they had to trade by ship. And I think it's 1700s, but it started in this coffee shop called Lloyd's Coffee Shop, which is right on the Thames where the ships come in from overseas. And then the one that you were looking up this morning was the first real valid life insurance plan, which was the Presbyterian Church in Scotland, which was for the orphans and widows of Presbyterian ministers who died because they weren't well paid, so they created a collective risk pool. Everybody paid into it throughout their entire lifetime. And they had very accurate, and Peter, you were remarking when we came on the board, that the actuarial tables that they established for this in the I think it was the late 1700s, early 1800s. Those actuarial tables still hold up. They would still be good actuarial tables. Wow. You know, I just want to take a second and think about how insurance might change, pal, uh, as a result of, of technology, because it's clear at the end of the day, insurance worked because of a large population of people and a large time frame. And we humans tend to behave and the environment and the risk profiles tend to be consistent over time to the point where these large group of statisticians could make predictions. But I think that's going to change because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's always been about historically looking back and protecting yourself if something would have happened. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the easiest example is I think we're going to start to see insurance begin to disappear like auto insurance is going to disappear as we go to autonomous cars, all right? Or at least mm-hmm. purchased by an individual. So when I get into an autonomous car, mm-hmm. today Waymo, which is Google's spin out, when you get into the car, you automatically get insurance. It's paid for by Waymo. And in the final result, if I don't own the car, if I'm getting car as a service, mm-hmm. then I'm not going to be buying casualty insurance and theft insurance. And all those insurances mm-hmm. will disappear, right? Yeah, I think that, again, anywhere where there's risk, that you want to distribute the risk. So my feeling is that going forward, if anything, the world becomes more unpredictable in many areas. You're mentioning one where probably the amount of future possibility of loss and that is going to go down very, very significantly. But there are other areas, you know, weather, for the most part, the foreseeable future especially with the increase of urban populated areas. You know, the amount of insurance being bought and sold simply because of weather events keeps going up simply because build-up population areas. Look at California with, you know, Malibu with the fires. But let's take a look at it this way. So one of the things I think about is the changing of the purpose of insurance which is to protect you against an unexpected risk. Mm. Imagine if the insurance industry shifted, in fact, to instead of retrospectively protect you, proactively protect you. So, for example, if I live in Malibu, what if I bought insurance that had an agency that said, if we detect a forest fire, we will put it out within 10 minutes? Yeah. 
So in other words, it's like the insurance industry all of a sudden says, I'm going to keep you alive. The win-win about life insurance is rather than just pay your Mm -hmm. orphans and widows when you're dead, no, as a life insurance policy, we're going to do everything we can to keep you alive an extra 30 years. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because we'll get more premiums from you and you live longer and happier. Yeah. So can insurance shift from retrospective? Yeah, well, first of all, in urban areas, it has, you know, a fire in L.A. 100 years ago, downtown L.A., might have burned a whole block down because, first of all, the alert time was very, very slow and the response time was very alert, you know. And so in all urban areas, I mean, Toronto, half of Toronto burned down in the 1890s. The Chicago fire burned down the whole area Chicago. Yeah. Chicago. So these were very famous, you know. One is that the fire could get out of hand before it was detective in the response time. So in urban areas where we have dense populations, I think the humans have done a very, very good job. And, you know, they have fire regulations. There's fire extinguishers built in and I think when it comes to nature where you have big open spaces and they're natural, it's harder to get a handle on that. I read a story about the peculiarity of the canyon system in Los Angeles, which gets these rip-roaring sort of fires going, and the winds and the canyon actually contains, and that you get this fire burst that comes right down the canyons, and it's a peculiarity. But then people who want to buy and they want to get insurance, their premiums are going to be very, very high. But Peter, I just like to talk about the internet as the ultimate platform for actually distributing risk. Sure, go for it. No, no, but what I said, if there was ever a communication and cooperation platform that made the spreading of risk easy, it's the internet. Let me give you my vision of how the insurance industry falls apart and gets disrupted. So check this out. Let me know what your thoughts are. Imagine if, you know, right now you have health insurance and life insurance. And at the end of the day, the only reason that health insurance and life insurance works is you have a very large population and the people who are super healthy pay premiums and don't receive any payouts, but the people who are unhealthy are receiving the payouts and so forth. And Mm -hmm. so it's the large population in the two ends of the curve. Mm -hmm. So imagine a version of the future in which if you've got a insurer who normally is insuring 100,000 individuals and that group of 100,000 people say, some enterprising person goes, listen, I'm really healthy. Here's my genome. I'm going to publish my genome. Mm -hmm. I'm going to publish what I eat. I'm going to publish the exercise that I get. Anybody else who's as healthy as I am, raise your hand, and we're going to self-insure. Sure. And so imagine if out of this population of 100,000 insured, the top 10,000 healthiest pulled themselves out. What would happen? Yeah. Well, you can do that right now. I mean, anybody can create a body that they want to self-insure. The big thing is getting enough numbers that you trust the other people... You know, you have gene tests and you have all sorts of other testing mechanisms that are now becoming available because of the longevity technologies and techniques and, you know, all the formulas that we see on the stage of Abundance 360 every January. For example, you could have a qualification process where you had to send in your last 10 years of gene checkups from HLI. For example, you get 10 years worth of HLI checkups 
and, you know, your medical history, and you put the standards down, this is who you have to be in order to join this self-insuring group. That could be done right now. The platform would be easy to put together. Agreed. But the thing is that the insurance companies would be decimated, I think, right? Well, they are being decimated, so... (laughs) I'll give you a statistic. Please. So I started with the life insurance companies in the 1970s. And up until about, I would say, 1985, the banking industry in the United States, the investment industry in the United States, the trust industry in the United States, and the insurance industry were separated. There were walls between them. You couldn't cross over the wall if you were an insurance agent and sell investments. And the personal computer screwed it up. <laughs> In 1980, the personal computer, around-ish 1980, and the one thing that the personal computer did is that, first of all, that life insurance agents now could have access to information which only insurance companies had before. And they had a thing called CompuLife. It was the first program. It was a floppy disk you came out. <laughs> so there was a particular type of term insurance, and you could see what 15 companies were offering, and you put it in. And for the first time, life insurance agents could actually represent the customers rather than the insurance companies. Interesting. And all of a sudden, insurance agents started going independent, but it's like barcoding in the supermarket industry. Walmart only existed because they never own any of the product that comes through. They get your money and they keep it for 90 days and then they send you your money because of barcoding. Well, the personal computer and these programs actually changed the industry. And I had a lot of the top people. There's a thing called the top of the table, which is the top 500 life insurance agents in the world, according to records. And one year, I had 250 of them. In coach? In coach. I had 250. I had half of top of the table one year. Oh, my God. And, you know, these guys make big dollars. I mean, today, one of those people would make $10, $15 $10, 15000000 million a year in commissions. A year? I mean, they, a year. Wow. They're really, I mean, they not only have clients who fly private jets, they fly private jets, you know. So the whole point here is where there's a big loss possible, you get big premiums. But I made a prediction in 1995, I wrote a book called The 21st Century Agent. Uh-huh. And there were at that time 1,000, about 1,100 life insurance companies in the United States that had their own captive agents. And I said, it's all going to go away. And now there's about 30 in 25 years. And I said, because the computer makes all the agents independent. They can create their own companies. They can shop around. But the one thing a lot of our agents are doing is helping people set up their own self-insuring companies. So the agent is surviving, but the company is not? I thought Yeah, not all the agents, but just like in every industry that you deal with, there's just an extraordinary two or three percent of individuals who would be geniuses in any industry. They just turned their minds to this way of doing it. You know, Mark Zuckerberg, the Google partners, they have life insurance, and they may not believe in death, but I tell you, those guys, by <laughs> who they are in that corporation, they have to have life insurance, and there's somebody who gets paid really big premiums. So let's talk about that, because one of the things that exponential technologies are going to do are going to be to disintermediate the middlemen. And mm-hmm. the fact that those middlemen are making tens of millions of dollars per year means that that's fat to be cut, because I guarantee you that 
these individuals who have become billionaires, you know, if you said, are you willing to just buy it off this app to get the best price versus have to deal with a human, at some point it flips and say, yes, I'm happy to buy it off the app. Yeah. So where are we in the disintermediation of the life insurance and the insurance middlemen? Well, I would say the average, let's say someone whose income is probably below $200,000. Yeah. You're in the top 1% in the United States if your income is over 360000 Okay. right now. But I would say below 200000 probably you're going to buy it robotically. I mean, more and more, it's going to be an AI program. You just punch in all your data, and it'll be issued in as fast as you can input it. It'll be issued because the AI will pick up all the risk factors in the world. The underwriting will be there. They will have factored in all health anomalies and everything, and that'll grow year after year after year, you know. The risk projection across numbers will just grow and grow, and it'll be done automatically by the, you know, the AI program. But at the level of some of the people that you're meeting, there's incredibly complicated matters that involve real estate, that involve children, that involve estates, that involve multiple companies and everything. Yeah. You need a real problem solver. The AI program can't solve that stuff because— Well, at the moment— well, maybe, but you know, the AI are going to enter into an area of human intelligence called the pricing mechanism of the marketplace. I mean, the number one form of super intelligence on the planet is the pricing mechanism of the marketplace. Things are worth what yeah. somebody's willing to pay for them, you know. So if there's money to be made with an AI program, that will be, but maybe there's not enough money to be paid out of it, you know. So the middleman, I see. And you're right, it may be the more simple, vanilla life insurance, health insurance. Well, it'll be like trip insurance. Yeah. It'll be like trip Click insurance. Here if you want it. I mean, you buy it at the airport for a trip insurance, or it'll be very specific situation insurance, you know, like all executives who work in dangerous areas of the world, they have to have life insurance to cover. There's an interesting company that came out of conversations I had with the founders and they're out of the SU ecosystem as well called Lemonade. And what they've done is they've created communities where you go into a community and you get homeowner's insurance in the community. Mm -hmm. And like everybody in the school gets the homeowner's insurance and so forth. Mm -hmm. Because you know the people in your community, you're less likely to have fraud. Yep. You're less likely to steal from your local. And then what they do is they take half of the profit at the end of the year and they redistribute it to the ecosystem so that there's an upside. If your community is safer and you do well, you get, you get rewarded. rewarded for it. So those are interesting sort of peer-to-peer -peer yeah. insurance models. You know, and the thing, Peter, we haven't talked here is the blockchain impact on that. You know, the book, Who Do You Trust? Great, great book. And they were talking about what's the thing called of diamonds. Oh, provenance. Providence. Providence. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a blockchain diamond, you know, and it can trace it right back to where it was mined, sure. where these inhuman conditions, lack of rights, and then all ownership coming forward. Well, insurance is going to be based totally on blockchain. You know, I mean, the entire transaction, the validity of your information, the privacy of your information, and everything is going to be verified by the blockchain. You know, I mean, there's billions of dollars being spent in the life 
life insurance industry investigating. And I think it will start with company by company before it goes industry-wide. I think it always starts with silos, and then the silos all emerge. But there's an enormous amount of discussion and communication in all the insurance industries regarding the blockchain platform. Sure. That transactions are instantly verified. The truth or non-truth of your claims about yourself are instantly verified. And paid instantly. Yes. And then there's the other part besides blockchain that I'm fascinated by is this concept of the Internet of Things, Internet of Everything, and this radical transparency where everything is being imaged all the time. Mm -hmm. So you know if something is going wrong or if you know exactly what happened and your ability to create the actual tables, while they're accurate, they're still statistically accurate for a large population. It's not Mm -hmm. for me as an individual. Mm -hmm. I mean, so I wonder about sort of dynamic pricing. Like if the system knows that you snuck a cigarette or you ate your vegetables, it prices it differently. I mean, this is what Progressive Insurance did with their program called Snapshot. They put mm-hmm. a box in your car. This is back, got it, over a decade ago, 2007, 2008. And they would measure your acceleration, how quickly you swerved and braked. And if you were a good driver, you got lower insurance. If you were like me, you got higher insurance. Well, here's the thing. Because of my relationship with you, Peter, I'm providing my insurance companies much deeper and better information than is normally the case for an average medical checkup simply because of my HLI records and mm-hmm. you know other tests I do. So any tests we have, we send it on to our insurance company because generally I'm in, you know, I've got good genes. Generally I'm really healthy. I've got good tests. And so I'm a competitive consumer against other competitive <laughs> consumers simply because I'm providing more transparency about the risk factor related to my own personal life. And that's another area where I think the pricing will vary according to how much is known about you. So if you were an entrepreneur right now, is there a part of the insurance industry you would want to enter? Yeah, well, first of all, there's insurance. And I I have to tell you, I know far more about life insurance than I do other insurance, you know, product insurance or building insurance and that. First of all, my client base doesn't really represent those industries like it does life insurance, so I know a lot more about it. But I would say that the one part of life insurance, which is absolutely phenomenal, is the thing which is called whole life cash value life insurance, where you have an investment that's right there. And Babs and I have had it. And I have to tell you, 25 years down the road, because in Canada, Canada has some of the best products in the world. And any American who chooses can actually buy life insurance in Canada and you know around the world. But They have some outstanding products with amazing stability. And for the last 25 years, it's been 7% per year, just almost like flat 7% for 25 years. And it's compounded. And after a while, the insurance is all paid for. And the investment is creditor-proof. It's tax-proof. So it's tax-free 7% growth? Yeah, tax-free 7% growth for 25 years. Yeah. Use the rule of 72 and you know what's happening there, you know. It's amazing. But the tax-free part of it. Yeah, and it generally requires a life insurance agent who has a great reputation with a major accounting firm and also with a bank. Because you can borrow against your cash value, in some cases, in our case, up to 95%. 
with 1% over prime. So we have our own private bank, essentially, after 25 years. Amazing. Yeah. So that is the one that will not go away because of the investment part of it. Now, how many humans are involved in that is, of course, always going to be declining simply because of the AI that's involved in it. I just put in a pitch. I'm not selling anybody particular, but I have some of the greatest creative thinkers about this product in the program, and I always have. And if you were going to sort of like stay away from a particular part of insurance, what would you sell short these days? I just have never believed in term where you pay for 10 years and you have no ongoing value for it. I've just never believed in term insurance. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think term insurance is what is mainly sold in the world. The insurance companies don't like paying out. Well, I mean, I think about a future in which an insurance company says, listen, here's the deal. Rather than insure against you not being healthy, our mission is we're going to keep you healthy. Mm -hmm. We're going to keep fires away from you. We're going to flip the business model. And when you buy fire insurance with us, not only are we going to cover the cost, but we are going to be setting up. So, for example, one of the things I want to do, Dan, is I want to create an XPRIZE for fire detection and extinction, yes. where if there is a fire detected any place in Malibu, for example, yeah. within 10 minutes, the fire is zapped by drones or by water cannons or by whatever the case might be. So it's not about retrospectively, oh, I'm so sorry, we'll cover that. It's like, no, 99.999% of the time, we stop it before it starts. Yeah. In a very short period of time, that would impact on the insurance market. Amazing. Yeah. The insurance market is very, very sensitive. And you talk about sensors. They have sensors all over the place having to do with longevity, injury, illness, where you live, what kind of dangers. It's constantly adjusting premiums because they're enormously competitive with each other. It's a huge area, but it's a work of genius. You talk about humans being competitive with each other. The entire concept of insurance shows that our essence, humans are enormously cooperative with each other. So just to wrap us up on our conversation here, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of capital, a lot of money flowing through insurance. You know, if you look at- Trillions. If you look at the biggest buildings in a city, they are the insurance companies and the banks. Yes. You know, at the mm-hmm. top of those, at the skyline. So lots of money to be had there. And I think probably a lot of inefficiencies that technology is going to help. Yeah. But in particular, I love the idea of instead of retrospectively and generically creating insurance, I love the prospective personalized preventative Mm -hmm. side that technology, that AI and robots and sensors and networks and all these things can potentially provide. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, you know, Peter, when you go the longevity route, like You know, Babs and I, every year, we're writing bigger checks for longevity-based testing and treatment and everything else. People say, well, that should be covered by government. I say, well, it can't possibly be covered by government because it's a personal choice. And my feeling is that all the products, like the insurance products that go along with the extension of longevity, it's going to be paid individually for people for whom that's a central value, that they don't want to be included in the pool with unhealthy people. It'll be a premium now, but over the long run, it'll be cheaper. It probably has more of an upfront premium, but it's got a longer, uh, you know, less costly. I love the idea of a life insurance company that says, listen, sign up with us. It costs you X thousand dollars per year. 
but our pledge is that we will do everything in our power to keep you alive 20 years longer so we can collect 20 years more premiums from you and we can delay our payout to you by 20 years. It's like they're super motivated to do that and I'm super motivated for them to succeed in doing that. So it's like a a beautiful alignment and a win-win. Well, I can tell you we're getting enormous play with Strategic Coach right now. And I said, here's what's going to happen based on our statistics, that we're going to extend your working entrepreneurial lifetime by another 20 years, and you'll do it at 10 times greater income. I think that's a solution that everybody would most definitely want. (laughs) Lifetime extender in the 25-year transformation. Awesome, buddy. Yeah, and people said, you would? Yeah, and I says, why are you bailing out at 65 or 70? Why don't you have your highest earning years in your 70s, 80s, and 90s? I love it. I love it. It's the biggest GDP impact to the planet. And enjoy your life at the top of your game. Wonderful discussion, Peter. Always, I do know a little bit about this one. (laughs) You are the world's sort of expert in this, and I'm just trying to look at it from a lens of where technology is going to make it even better. Anyway, as always, a pleasure, my friend. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Peter. Yeah, bye. Bye.